All right. Hey, everyone. That was really good. I'm pr- you guys are getting better at that. That is so good. Meeting people, talking, being friendly. Good job. Hey, uh, once you've met someone, you can take a seat. Welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here today. Welcome to The Exchange. Uh, if this is your first time or you are newer to the church, my name is Josiah. Uh, I would love to meet you after and just say what's up. Do me a favor and open your Bibles to a few different places uh, before I tell you those places. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along. If you don't own one, please keep that. That is our gift to you. But turn with me to Luke 17 to Acts chapter 6, and to 1 Timothy 3. It's a little bit more than normal, I know. But uh, Acts 6, Luke 17, and 1 Timothy 3. Again, welcome, guys. I'm so glad you are here. Uh, this is a special weekend for us as a church, and I'll explain why in a bit. Um, let me just kind of catch you up to speed. In case you are new or newer to the church and wondering what are you guys going through in the Bible, what is, what's happening, uh, we're doing a little four-week series on the church. We're just trying to talk about the church. What is the church? Why did God create the church? What's the purpose of the church? You are the church. What is my role in the church? If you are a believer in Jesus, we talked about last week, you are part of the body of Christ. You have a role. You have giftings. It is necessary not just for you to be here, but to participate and to use your gifts, not to sit and attend, but to be active in living out the gifts and calling God has placed on you in the body of Christ. Everyone here has a role. Everyone here has a gift. And so uh, we're doing this little four-part because, this four-part series, because um, for us, my hope and my prayer is that our church, this local expression of the body of Christ, uh, would be the church that Jesus intended the church to be. We are not going to be a perfect church. We're going to fall short of that greatly. But my hope is, um, as we read God's word, as we study it, as we go through the Bible, that we say, Jesus, this is how you designed the church. This is how you made the church. You are the head of the church. This is your church. You are building the church. And that let us now be your body. Let us be the expression of the church you want us to be. We looked at week one, how we are a community following Jesus, how the early church met, it says, in the temple and house to house. That is our hope. That we meet here, in a sense, in a large gathering, but also small gatherings, house to house that we'd actually be active in making disciples, of participating, not, again, not just attending, but participating in fellowship, in communion, in going out and, and proclaiming who Jesus is, that we'd actually be the church. So our hope is that we can kind of rediscover what the church is, right? Because my, my hope is that you would fall more in love with Jesus through this and more in love with his bride, with the body of Christ, that is you, that is the church, that is the person next to you. And uh, I'm hoping God can kind of just redeem our perspective maybe on the church. Maybe you've had a bad experience. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you don't understand what the church is. So we're doing this to kind of just say, God, let this be your church, the way you designed it, the way you described it. So here's what we're doing. Um, we are in week three today. So we'll throw up the last f- four weeks or the four-week series that we're doing. So we talked about the body of Christ. Uh, that was last week. We talked about how we're a community following Jesus. I would hope that you guys can go back and listen to that in case you missed it. Uh, because this week, we're now kind of taking a turn and talking about leadership, essentially. We're going to talk about deacons, and next week we'll talk about elders or pastors. And this is kind of like an ominous, you know, title, a doctrine of deacons. We just want to look at, what does the Bible say about deacons? What's the point of this? Why did God create deacons? And when you hear that word, what do you think of? And what comes into your mind? And maybe how have we seen it be misapplied to the church or misused over time in church history? What did the early church do? Why did they create deacon ministry? What is the point of deacon ministry? Are they better than us? What is this? So our hope is to see that within the body of Christ— 
that this is just an appointed role that God created, essentially to meet needs. And so we're going to talk about this, because in a sense, all of us, all of us here are called to deacon ministry, meaning all of us here are called to be servants one to another. But there's also a specific group of people that God has called out and appointed and established to really be the leading servants in the church. And so I'm excited to go through this because I, th- I hope that maybe in this process, God will bring clarity to what this is. He'll redeem our perspective of it. And that we'll see ultimately how Jesus is the first and greatest deacon. So uh, we're not going to be able to read the passages like we normally do in the beginning We're because there's just so much. So I'm just going to pray. And then we're going to look this more in depth. And at the end of the message, we're going to call up, uh, for our first time ever, just our deacon nominees, and we're going to pray over them and appoint them today. Very excited for today. So let's pray. Father, we just um, thank you for your son, Jesus, who bought us at a price. God, we want to now glorify you in our body, in our spirit, which are yours. Jesus, you are the head of the church. This is your church. We thank you for all the churches gathering together right now. We thank you, God, that there's leadership you've appointed, but ultimately you are the chief shepherd, that Jesus, this, you are the head of every church. And God, our, our hope and our heart here is to be the church the way you intended, that God, as the disciples established certain leadership roles, they saw that disciples were being made, the gospel spread quickly, and that is our prayer that that would happen. That as we obey your word, we would see the, the word of God spread quickly that people would come to know you and believe in you and that just eternities would be changed. Um, so Lord, speak to us. Speak to us in this place. Let us, God, just not be content with just going through just the protocol of service on a Sunday. Let us want to be participating in this and active in this. And Jesus, I do thank you for this, this body of Christ that you are forming, that you are growing, that, um, that you are moving in, in this place. We thank you, Jesus. We just pray that you would just speak now and move in this place in your name. Amen. Amen. In Acts chapter 6, the early church was booming, and here's what it says in Acts 6.1. The number of the disciples was multiplying, multiplying. Really quick, in Acts 2, it says that there's being uh, added to the church daily. Now it's not addition, it's multiplying. Here in Acts 6, we're seeing that the church is growing, and it's growing quickly. It's growing fast. Now, let me explain something. When there's growth, there's growing pains. Whenever you see growth happening, you're going to see growing pains happen as well. So on Monday night, my son Micah, who's four years old, wakes up in the middle of the night just screaming, like screaming. It's around 1 a.m., so I run into his room, and I'm like, Micah, Micah, what's up, dude? He's like, my shins, my shins. And he's kind of like half asleep and not really aware of what's going on. I'm like, dude, what happened? Did you kick your bed? He's like, no, my shins. And he's been waking up probably every couple of weeks, every few weeks with these growing pains. Uh, his, he acts like he's literally got, just got kicked in the shin, so like it hurts. It hurts him bad. So I'm like, it's okay, dude. We're trying to like, you know, go back to sleep, just rest, or can I bring you some water? What, what can I do? So he goes back to sleep, calms down. He, he comes to our door around like 3 a.m. He's like, my shins, they hurt so bad. So we're like, okay, come in bed. And so he sleeps in our bed, and then the rest of the night he kicks me with those shins that hurt him really bad. That's kind of our routine that we do. Uh, but what we see with him, and what we see so often is when there's growth happening, there is going to be growing pains. And spiritually speaking, this happens, and this happens in the church a lot. When there's growth happening, when there's life happening, you see growing pains. You see people get frustrated. You see issues rise up. You see that maybe someone's being neglected or hurt or abused or manipulated. And whenever you see growth you're going to see growing pains. And a lot of times people don't like change. They don't like growth. Like I want to stay the same. I don't want things to change, but healthy things grow. And so there should be growth and there should be life. 
But with growth will, like I said, come these growing pains. And here in Acts chapter 6, we see these growing pains happening. And I want to point this out because I know that I can be guilty of this. And I, when I talk to other Christians, we can be guilty of this. Sometimes we view the book of Acts like that is the perfect church. And yes, it is beautiful. What God did was amazing. And we want to emulate that. But we can't pretend and we can't romanticize the past and think that they never had issues. I mean, they had their issues. In Acts 6, we're seeing really racism happening. We're seeing prejudice happening. We're seeing just some unjust things happening within the church that still happens today. And because of these issues that were happening, they said, we need to establish leaders to meet practical needs to restore justice, to bring back the issue that's happening. So we're going to read Acts 6 in a minute, and we're going to talk through that more. But here's what I want to talk through today with you guys. We're going to try to answer four questions, in a sense, specifically about deacons. So first off, just easy, uh, what is a deacon? Like, what is this? Why does that word sound so... What what is this? Uh, Number two, what do they do, and and how did this begin? How did this all start? Uh, What are the qualifications of a deacon, and why does this matter? Why does this matter today? So those are kind of the questions we're going to answer. So let's look at the first point today, which is simply defining deacons. Let's define what a deacon is. Let's define what they established. So first and foremost, the simple definition of a deacon is the word servant. The word deacon just means servant. It it can be described as one who just serves at tables, one who serves a lowly job. Here's my favorite, like the Greek definition. It's kind of two-part meaning of the word deacon. Here's what it means. It simply means uh, through the dirt or to kick up dust. Through the dirt or to kick up dust. That's what the word deacon communicates. Think about this, first point, through the dirt. Um, The idea of through the dirt is like this is the lowliest position. I am willingly putting myself at the lowest part to serve. I'm willingly going to say, I want to be through the dirt. Not a lot of people want that. Not a lot of people like look forward to that. This is what Jesus describes as greatness, but literally deacon, you could say, is through the dirt or to kick up dust. Kick up dust means this. They're in, like, there's almost like a, hey, there's a need, and kick up dust means they're immediately trying to meet the need. You don't have to ask them twice. You have to be like, can you please do this? Like, can I have to, like, do I have to reason with you and talk you into this? It's sort of like, there's a need. I'm immediately going to help make this, get this done. It's to kick up the dust. It's like I'm running. It's like I'm running an errand to make this accomplished. And I think the greatest example we see of this, and maybe it's not a passage we always think of initially, but I think the greatest attitude of this, an example of this, is found in Luke 17. So if you would turn to Luke 17, if you're not already there, Luke 17, our first passage today, I think this defines a deacon the best and the attitude and heart of a deacon. And I think this defines, hopefully, all of us. All right, Acts 17, verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) What a request. Verse 6, the Lord said, listen closely, he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, listen to this change, this is so interesting, and which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he then thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say this, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what our duty was to do. 
I love that this is one of those obscure answers, it seems, from Jesus. The, the disciples have a really great desire. Jesus, I want to grow in faith. Would you agree? Like, I want to grow in my faith. I want to, Jesus, grow me in my faith. And he's like, let me tell you a story about a servant. And this is just an interesting, fa- it almost seems like, man, that kind of seems rude. He goes, let me tell you about a servant. He works all day tending sheep in the field. He comes back in. He's tired after being in the sun all day. And the master says, hey, cook me my meal. Take care of me first, then you take care of yourself. And what should his response be? We are unprofitable servants. We have done what our duty was to do. Now, this is so not like today, all right? This is so counter everything we're used to. Jesus says you want to grow in faith, first of all, serve. If you want to grow in faith, serve, and serve without trying to be noticed. Serve without this attitude of look at me, look what I'm doing. Just serve and serve behind the scenes. Like, let it be so much so where you just, whenever you even feel like, maybe you feel disrespected, you simply have the response of, I'm an unprofitable servant. I've done what my duty was to do. It literally means through the dirt, through the dust. This is what Jesus, and if you don't notice this, he says this word deacon three different times. In this passage, he's like, they serve, they serve, they serve. It's that word that we saw up here earlier, but diaconus, they're the servants. Now, here's what I love about this, and I, I do want to talk about this with you. Um, this is something, this passage specifically was something that I feel like the Lord brought to my remembrance at just a time of pride and arrogance. Uh, there's about eight, nine years ago, we brought a group of students to El Salvador, and it was beautiful. We got to just feed the people, play sports with them, talk to them, uh, build things, paint things. We got to do a lot. It was, it was great. And as we're there, there's me and two kids who are going to be in their freshman year of high school, and uh, we had to bring this, like, these bags of um, rice up this mountain to a village that just was a little bit difficult to get to. And so there's no paved roads. It's like dirt roads. And so we literally had a wheelbarrow and three bags of rice. Uh, one bag of rice was about 100 pounds. It was 100 pounds. And so we have 300 pounds of rice in this wheelbarrow, and it's me and two, like, 14-year-olds pulling, pushing this wheelbarrow down this path and up a mountain. And it probably took us like a good hour, and we'd go about 50 feet. I hoped in my mind I, I beat them, but they were pretty strong. But we'd go like 50 feet, and then we'd switch. I mean, that's all we could handle, especially in the dirt road, and it was getting heavy. And so we're doing this for about an hour, and you're just exhausted, wiped out, sweating, gross. It's July in El Salvador. It was hot. And we get up to this, like, not, I can't say mountain, but we get up this hill, and there's the, where we're going to distribute the food to the people. And we had time just to kind of rest before the rest of the group got, got there. And I remember sitting there. And there was such this, like, arrogant feeling of, look what I just did. Like, look what I accomplished. I just carried 300 pounds of rice up a mountain to feed poor. I'm pretty great. And I honestly remember just, like, that feeling of, like, oh, I'm so, like, I just felt so good. And literally, this passage in Luke 17 just got, like, burned to my brain. And it's literally at that moment, he goes, you're an unprofitable servant. Just do what your duty is to do. And you're just filled, like, everything that, I, I, honestly, in that moment, is like, God, why do I need to feel noticed? Why do I need to feel valued? Why do I need to feel good about myself? Why, do I, do, why is there this need within all of us to try to boast in ourselves and in our servanthood, which is so ironic? Like, what is that within all of us? And the response that we're told is just do it and do it without trying to be noticed. Just say, I'm an unprofitable sir. I'm just doing what my duty was to do. And this is the greatest, I think, definition and attitude you could say of a deacon. It's not look at me. It's not notice me. You know, we live in a, in like a weird culture where like, if you do not celebrate me and honor me, I'm out of here. And like, how do we change that? Listen, I so believe in trying to create a culture of honor and celebration. And like, yes, we should honor one another and we should celebrate. Look at the sacrifice. We should do that, but not at the expense of ultimately just wanting your praise not come from men, but from God. See, how do we create, like, God, I don't care if no one ever sees this. If no one ever sees me bring this rice up, the, no one ever sees, God, I want to just do this and do this for you. If I never get a thank you, if I never get a boy, I'm just going to do this and do this unto you. How do we create that culture? 
Yes, we want to honor. Yes, we want to celebrate, but not at the expense of people craving the celebration of man more than craving the celebration of God. Where 1 Corinthians 4 talks about all, all of us will stand in front of God and each one's praise will come from God, 1 Corinthians 4 says. Each one's praise will come from him. At the end of the day, I'm not, we're not here to seek the applause of each other, but we have the audience of one, and that is God. And that is the person we say, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to do this and do this unto you. You know, Plato asked this question about servants. This is interesting because I think this describes us today. He says, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? I think that's a question a lot of people still ask. Like, you can't be happy and be a servant. But here's what I love about the Bible. Jesus says, actually, that's the only way to be happy. Jesus says, you want to find your life? Lose it. You want to grow in faith? Serve. This is so different from how you and I think. We think those who are being served must be the happy ones. Jesus says, no, it's those who are serving and doing it willingly and doing this unto me and doing this mindset of, I don't care if I get any recognition. I'm just going to look for God's recognition in this. And ultimately, here's what we see a deacon is. It's this attitude of, I'm doing it to you and unto you, and this is my approach in life, and this is how I want to serve. And if I never get a thank you, if I never get a card, I'm just going to keep serving you, Jesus. And that is a very difficult heart and mindset to have. John Maxwell, like a leadership guy, maybe you've heard of him or read him, he, he says this about servanthood. He says, when you think of servanthood, do you envision it as an activity performed by relatively low-skilled people at the bottom of the, pos- of, the po- of the positional totem pole? If you do, you have a wrong impression. Servanthood is not about position or skill. It's about attitude. Sometimes we can look at someone serving, and, and, and it's weird. If you've ever like, had a nice experience or go to a nice restaurant, it's weird how they can almost like, turn this little snobbish thing into, me, like, into your heart of like, well, their service was okay. <laughs> like, they didn't really serve me as fast as I want. Like, what is that? Like, he, it's weird how he, we can almost look down and say that's a lower position when he goes, no, no, it's just an attitude people take on. This is actually, this is what the wise and mature do. This is what Jesus says, those who are great in faith serve. Those who lose their lives find their life. And this is what he's describing. So at the simplest definition, I could put it, a deacon is a servant. But not only that, listen, a deacon is an identified leadership position. It's not just like this term that applies to everyone, which it is. But it's also specifically an appointed leadership position. We'll put the verse up here really quick so you can kind of see it. But I think there's 30 different times the Bible talks about the word deacon in the New Testament, but four times it's talking about the office of a deacon, and here's one of those times. Philippians 1.1. Simply, Paul's beginning to the letter says, or to the Philippians says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Here's why this is important. The word overseers, we'll talk about it next week. It's this word episkopos. It's this word pastor, elder, shepherd, leader. That's what we're going to talk about next week. He says, so to the pastors and elders, to the leaders, and to the deacons. So they're in the same mindset of a leader, but they're not the same as an overseer or an elder, but they have leadership position and role. He said, I'm writing to all the saints and the pastors and the deacons. The point being, the early church in the church of Philippi had at one point in time established leadership called deacons. Why am I teaching on this today? Because if God establishes it, we want to do it. If God says, here's what you should have, then what should we have? We should have this. Our hope is to actually have this. And he's talking in plural to the leaders, to the deacons. This is in plural. It's not one person alone doing it all by themselves. It's a group of leaders sharing the weight, sharing the responsibility. It's a plurality of leadership. And that is the hope for our church. 
that we'd have a plurality of shared leadership, and he's calling them to speak. So it's an appointed position. But he, let's just talk through this now a little bit more big picture. Um, how did this get started? Like, what do they actually do? So they're a servant. I get that. They're an appointed leader. Okay, I get that. But what do they do? And how did this all start? So Acts chapter 6, turn with me. Acts 6, we're going to see the start of this. This is so important because I think we kind of skip over some things whenever people maybe read through this or teach on this. Acts 6, point number two, the foundations and functions of deacons. The foundation and functions of deacons, Acts 6. Let's read through verse 1 through 7, and then we'll look at this. Acts 6 verse 1. It says, In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying— there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and other names I can't say, like Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, uh, Paramenes, that sounds like a yummy sandwich, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Listen to this, verse 7. Then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were also obedient to the faith. All right, so here's what's happening. Um, the church is growing. Like I said, it's growing fast. People are getting saved. As people are getting saved, needs arise. Like people are going, oh my gosh, people are getting saved, and there's all these needs rising up, and we've got to meet needs. And so at one point in time, the apostles were doing a lot of work, like meeting needs, and they go, but now we're not focused on counseling, preaching, teaching, uh, going through God's word, disciplining. All that. We're not focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. We've got to raise up people who can help meet these needs. And so the, well, the issue is interesting to me. There's an issue between the Jewish, the Jewish widows, who are now believers in Jesus, they were getting clothes or food being distributed to them, while the Hellenistic Jews were being neglected. Like, what is a Hellenist? You're probably like, what is that? A Hellenist is a Greek-speaking Jew. Essentially, it's someone who's Jewish in blood, but in their culture, in their language, in their day-to-day -day life, they have Greek culture. So there are Jews who practice and participate in kind of the Greek lifestyle. So here's the Jewish believers saying, we're going to take care of our own, other people who practice Judaism that came out of Judaism got saved. We'll take care of our own, and then we'll take care of the Hellenistic Jews, more the Greek culture, the Greek-speaking Jews. And they're saying, this is not good. Even amongst their own, even amongst people of the same uh, race, they're, they're Jews by blood, but different in culture, and they're different in their practice. There is still prejudice and racism happening in the early church. And the apostles go, this isn't good. We've got to fix this. We've got to meet needs. We've got to do this practically and tangibly, but we can't do this at the expense of now losing the focus of the ministry of the word is how they put it. And so they go, we need to raise up people who can meet these needs. And now here's why I'm pointing this out so clearly, and I want you to hopefully hear this. Um, we're going to talk about the tasks and the goal of deacons. The task was to do justice, to meet needs, and the goal is to free up the elders. So please hear this. The, tasks, the task was to do justice, and to meet needs. So let's talk about do justice. Do you guys remember Micah 6 8? Micah 6 8 says, What does the Lord require of you, O man, that you do justice, you love mercy, you walk humbly with our God? That applies to all of us. And what a great definition of a deacon. Do justice. You see that they created this role, and you'll see actually two different times this idea of distribution is the word deacon. 
You'll, you'll see this idea of the, the, the office of a deacon being created to say, you need to bring peace and justice to the community. There's some things happening in the community that are unjust. You need to do justice. You need to love mercy. You need to show them that God sees them, and God is not a respecter of persons, that every tribe, nation, tongue, people, group are all made in the image of God, and we're going to bring justice to the situation. And really, deacon was not just someone who maybe did something like they swept the rug. This is someone who says, we need to seek justice and bring justice to the situation. I think that is so beautiful. People designated to saying there are some community issues that are unjust, and we're here to help to resolve that. And if you notice this, they actually chose six out of the seven names were Greeks. So there's Greek names being chosen. So the apostles are very smart. They're going, there's some Greek issues happening. There's some unjust imbalance happening. We're going to raise up actually Greek leaders to speak into this and help this. And I love their tact. I love their thoughtfulness. I love their prayer. I love how they identified these people, full of the Holy Spirit, good reputation, but it was to meet needs. And here's why I say this in church. Please listen for all of us. I think the greatest way we can help people practically is obviously meeting needs. Um, One way for us to put it is human needs are met primarily through deeds rather than words. The church, we can be guilty of, oh no, you're going through something terrible. We will pray. And we should pray. And prayer is beautiful and it's powerful. And I never want to diminish prayer ever. But there's also something about practically meeting people's needs. That there's a real need. And James tells us, don't just say, be blessed, my brother. We will pray for you. But to actually help and meet that need to serve that person. And this is what the office was created for. To say, wow, God doesn't just care about my soul, but he cares about my physical needs. Yes. God cares about your eternity, and God cares about the people who are being treated unjustly. I love that the Bible has kind of this like holistic approach to redemption. God's like, I want to redeem your soul. I want to redeem your spirit. I want to redeem you out of hell, out of darkness, into light. And I also want to show you that I care about the unjust things that are happening in your community, and I'm going to establish leadership to meet those unjust needs. God cares about those practical things. Isn't that good news? Do we not get that? Is that not good news that God also cares about those practical things, those unjust things that are happening? That is so beautiful to me. Tim Keller says this about deacons. He says, they must organize the ministry of mercy. They must become God's channel for mobilizing the members of the church to minister in the lives of others. In some ways, it's not just you're the deacons, go do the work, but it's, hey, organize a way to actually meet those needs. So it's not just you're alone, you're a deacon, do this by yourself, hey, you seven men, but it's actually to mobilize people to say, we are going to change this culture. We are going to be the leading servants to change this culture. We're going to try to raise up other people similar to help meet those needs. And so it's very practical. And here's what I love about this, by the way. Um, there's so much freedom in the tasks, I believe, in the definition of deacon. So you go, what do they do? They just serve tables. No, that was the issue in their day. That's how they met their issue. What's the issue in our day? You see, what we're trying to pray through is, God, what does this look like for us in our church? How will we carry this out? So meaning, this was some unjust things happening in their culture. What are some unjust things happening in our culture? And how can our deacons help meet those needs and mobilize our church to meet those needs? Just so you guys know, practically for us speaking, we're going to ask the deacons, say, hey, we have a certain amount of money budgeted for benevolence. Two of you, if you agree upon an issue and need, and you counsel someone and come alongside someone to help them, not just give them a fish, but teach them how to fish. But at the end of that, if you, two of you agree on a certain number, and it's going to be to a certain limit, uh, you can help this person in that, in that moment. We want to give them freedom in that. We want to give them a sense we trust their discernment in that. We want to say meet those needs in that moment. For us as a church, we've identified an area within Deerfield Beach that we believe the Lord is kind of leading us to. It's the Ovita McKeithen Recreational Center, kind of near Hillsboro and Dixie area, or Third Street or Avenue. 
Um, it's an area that's more east of here. We've kind of identified that as we want to get our roots in there. We feel like there's some needs happening there that our church should be participating in meeting those needs. We're trying to pray through and put together a plan and practical ways to meet that community and their needs. We're going to participate in the Martin Luther King Jr. Parade in January so we can just even have a presence there and show them we're here, we love you, and we want to get our foot in the door to meet them, practically play sports with them. We're trying to really design and pray through ways to help meet those needs in that community. That's one thing. They're, they're, the whole point is, when you say, what does a deacon do? It kind of is like, what are the needs? It's like, what are the needs? What are the pra- where's the unjust things happening? How can we be part of that and help meet that? And not only that, here is the goal. The goal of this was what the apostle said is, we need to be freed up. So the goal is free up the elders. Now, I want to make this clear. This wasn't, let's free them from work, but it's, let's free them to do the work God's called them to do. So they're going, we're, we're, miss- we're not meeting with people. We're not counseling. We're not preaching, communicating. We're not able to give ourselves to the word and to prayer. We're not able to do the ministry of the word. You see, here's the idea. Deacons are primarily dedicated to the ministry of deeds. Elders are primarily dedicated to the ministry of the word. Now, elders will meet needs, and deacons will do the ministry of the word, but this is the primary role, which we'll see even more next week. I'm going to throw this up here for you guys, maybe to help this, because this is so good. This is so good. Here's why. So first of all, uh, deacon, ministry of deeds to physical needs. Listen, which has spiritual implications. Can we agree with that? Deacons minister, they're the ministry of deeds to physical needs, and that has spiritual implications. When you help someone physically, you better believe that God is speaking to their spirit and opening doors for you to speak truth and the gospel into them. Elders primarily is the ministry of the word to spiritual needs, which has physical implications, which we haven't, I can't describe to you when you preach the gospel, when you walk through and you counsel someone, when you help them with practical life, truth, and the word of God, you see it play out and change their physical day-to-day life. And he says, this is the primary focus of deacons, the primary focus of elders. This is what we're going to give ourselves to. I love how David Platt, one pastor, said it. Uh, he said it this way. Elders are servant leaders in the church. Deacons are leading servants in the church. Can we hear that again? Elders are servant leaders in the church. This is our hope and desire that we can, I can serve you as a servant leader, but also deacons are the leading servants. They're trying to create that culture of like, this is what we're going to do. We're people who serve. It's just in our DNA. Jesus served, we're going to serve. And trying to create that culture of service. And this is a, something that, again, applies to all of us essentially, but there's a specific role in office for this to meet those practical, tangible needs. So we see this being communicated and carried out. And here's why this is so important. And church, hear my heart on this. I think there are times when a local church can maybe be so about social justice that they neglect the word of God. We don't want to be guilty of that. We're always talking about social justice, social issues, and we stop preaching the gospel, our high calling, to make disciples of all nations, telling them the good news of Jesus Christ about his death and resurrection, about a substitutional life for us, that he took my sin, my filth, my shame, and on the cross, when he paid for my sin, when his blood was shed, he gave me his righteousness, his life, that that was given to my account. Like, we want to continue to always preach the gospel. And so sometimes what can happen is you focus on social justice and you kind of diminish the gospel. What I've also seen, though, is maybe hyper-conservative churches can have good doctrine and love the word, but they don't care about helping people tangibly and practically. And we, it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. We're saying we want to preach the gospel. That, we're going to lead with that step, but we're also going to meet needs. We want to do both. We don't want to just say, God loves you, here's the good news of Jesus, bye, good luck in life. We don't want to be guilty of that. And we don't want to just try to meet needs and not give them the most important message that will change their eternity, and that is the message and hope of the resurrection of Jesus. So we want to do both. 
We're saying, God, give us elders. God, give us deacons. Give us the ministry of word. Give us the ministry of deed. Are you guys following me on why this is so important? And why this, all of us plays a part in this. Because all of you are ministering the word and helping one another's need. This is, like we talked about last week, everyone has a role in this. Everyone has a role in this. So important. Now, here's the result. Ready? What's the result? Once they established deacons, look at verse 7. What happened? Verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Did we catch that? Once they said we're going to meet needs, that's when the word of God just spread like wildfire. It already spread quickly, but it's like, but then it multiplied and multiplied. Then more and more people were getting saved. Why? Because this office of meeting needs was created and executed on, and then the word of God spread. You see, when we meet needs practically, it actually benefits and helps the word of God to spread. This is so beautiful to me. Do you guys want the word of God to spread in here? Right? Yes, I absolutely do. And how do we do that? We actually need the ministry of deacons. That's one of the ways we're going to see the word of God spread. My prayer in this process, as we spent like eight weeks, we spent longer, but eight weeks specifically going through different topics and lessons and trainings and vetting these men and women, as we went through this, my prayer is God that the word of God would spread like wildfire in the process. That when this is implemented, that we just see your word spread. And can I ask this too? The end of verse seven, I'd never really focus on this. It says, and the priests are now being obedient to the faith. Is that incredible? What does that mean? That means these Jews, the Jews who did not necessarily believe in Jesus, they actually help participate in the death of Jesus. You know what's happening? They're getting saved. The ones are saying, oh my goodness, the Jews, the, these priests, you guys, these priests are the ones who would take the tithe, the offering. It was their job to help the people. It was their job to meet needs. Now they're seeing the church do it, and they're going, oh my goodness, the church is doing what we should be doing. Maybe there's power to this message. Maybe we're missing. They're actually to the faith. It says they're obedient to the faith, meaning they became believers in Jesus. The fact that we actually, they actually established deacons mean now people who are supposed to be doing this job we're getting saved and following Jesus. This is unbelievable. Francis Schaeffer said this. He says, the love of the church is the church's most effective apologetic. What's the most effective argument we might have to telling people about Jesus? The love of each other. I'm, our, our Galatians 6 says uh, to do good to the, everyone, especially the household of faith. Do good to everyone, but especially the household of faith. This is why we need this. Now, number three, what are the qualifications? So number three is this. We're going to look at the qualifications of a deacon. First Timothy 3, turn there. First Timothy chapter 3. What are the qualifications? So what does it take, in a sense, to be a deacon? First Timothy 3, uh, let's look in verse 11. First Timothy 3, I want to hear those Bible pages turning. Can you just, like, ex- you know, exaggerate that noise for me just so I know you're turning? First Timothy 3, <laughs> look at verse 11. First Timothy chapter 3, sorry, verse 8. Verse 8. So Paul just got done speaking to the elders. We'll go over that next week. In verse 8, he says, Likewise, deacons must be uh, reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, like actively loving the gospel, uh, this message, living by it. Verse 10, But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, we're going to explain this verse. Likewise, it says their wives, in the Greek it says, likewise women must be uh, reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Now he's going to speak to men. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. First and foremost, please listen. When he says this is the qualification for being a deacon, what does he do? He says, look at the character. 
He goes, look at the health and the maturity and look at the character. I love this. He doesn't talk about skills. He doesn't talk about gifting. He talks about character. Can I, can I just, can we point this out? Our culture really values gifting and skills and talent. We value talent. And in our world, they don't, there's not a lot of value for character. The church is the opposite, saying, we're going to value character. We're going to value maturity and health. And you know, the skills and the gifting and the talent, God's going to meet those needs. The, the point is, I, I love this. There's such an upside-down approach to the kingdom of God. We go, oh my gosh, you're incredibly talented. Let's throw you on stage and you should perform. And it doesn't matter if your life has fallen apart and you're just a mess. But you know what? You just deserve all this credit and fame. Like, we got it so backwards. And the church is saying, no, no, it starts with character. It starts with maturity. It starts with spiritual health, spiritual life. And this is so good. God is not looking for necessarily a dynamic personality to reach people. He's looking for faithful men and women. And this is so important because sometimes at church we go, you're dynamic, you're gifted, people follow you. It's like, I don't even care what your spiritual life looks like practically. People follow you. And what we can do is we can emphasize the person and what they do and not necessarily who they are. And the church is saying, no, no. God is saying, no, I value character. I value maturity. Are they dignified, honorable? Are they, are they gospers? Are they slanders? Like, are they, fa- are they greedy for money? What it, I, want, I want people who are diligent in their character, who are steadfast in their character, and this is so counter to everything we grew, we've grown up with. We love to throw the talented people on stage. And the Bible is saying, we're going to throw the people in leadership with that character and maturity and call it in their life. And that is a beautiful thing. That is something we want to fight for. That's something I, I want to fight. I want us to be a church that says, we're going to care more about maturity and spiritual health than even gifting. That has to be the case. Guys, if, if you've been hurt by the church or church leadership, it's most likely because the maturity and character was low and the gifting was high. And I really believe the Lord's saying, no, no, we're going to get back to character, to maturity, to spiritual health, to spiritual intimacy with God, with him, and take care of that, and I'll take care of the rest. The giftings, the needs, it's going to be met. You see, we don't want to elevate some really likable person. We want to know who they are in their faith and their love for Jesus and others. We want to elevate the maturity that God has called them to. Amen? Would you agree with that? Now, here's a question we do got to ask. You go, are there biblical examples of male and female deacons? Help me understand this. So I want, I want to talk about this. I believe absolutely there are examples of male and female deacons. Now let me explain. There is argument on, uh, from great men and women on both sides on, are deacon, the role of deacons, is that just for men? Can it be men and women? And, and here's, I know, whenever you bring up something like this, it kind of begins like this, this like something riles up within us. Let me just say this. Biblically speaking, let's just talk about... Uh, the, the genders of male and female. God made male and female in his image. That we, that the Bible says, you know what, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. Actually, I need to have like another part of me who I am revealed in what God creates woman. And there's this idea that men and women are not competing against each other. We're not at odds with each other. It's not men are terrible or women are, it's not this odds. It's like you do not compete, you complement one another. That as a man, I want to value women. As a woman, you want to value men. You want to value how, what, how God, how we're image bearers of God and what we bring to the table as both male and female image bearers of God. That we're not going to look down on sex. And that, so we see this, this idea, big picture of male and female in that way. But specifically, we, are, we want to be obedient. What does God say specifically in the roles of, of deacons? Do you see males and females or how does this work? So here's what I want to just walk through with you really quick. In verse 11, it's a verse that I think is like, when you talk to anyone who studies the Bible, they're like, see, it's just to wives. They're talking to the deacon's wives. Actually, here's what it says in the RSV, which I believe is the best translation, uh, especially when it comes to the Greek in this way. It says this, the women likewise must be, so that, dot, 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 listen really quick. Just kind of get jump in with me. Um, the argument is not in verse 11. It says, likewise, their wives. I'm going to throw up a few reasons 
why we do believe that the, the office of a deacon is also for women. Here's the first one. We can throw it up here. The word there, or there, in verse 11, is not in the Greek text. So it's not, likewise their wives, it's actually, likewise women. The word there is not there. Is not there. It's not like possess- possessive. There's not even, that's not there. So they're not, it's not there. It'd actually be more natural to say women. Also, that word for women is this word that e- usually means woman or can mean wife, but without losing the context of the word there, it seems to actually refer to just women. Likewise, women. Again, because it's not, and there's not that possessive word being used. Number two, uh, Paul begins in verse 11 the same way he begins in verse 8. Deacons likewise, women likewise. That's how, in the Greek, when you read it, it's deacons likewise, women likewise, meaning he's most likely introducing a new office. Women likewise, so the idea is in verse 8 through 10, he's speaking to just deacons, men, and women. In verse 11, he's speaking to women. In verse 12, he's speaking to men. And then in verse 13, there's a promise. So 8 to 10 is to everyone, male and female. Verse 11 is to women. Verse 12 is to men. And then verse 13 is the promise attached to it. We'll keep going with this. But number three, it's unlikely, and this is so true, it's unlikely he has requirement for deacons' wives, but not elders' wives. In verse 1 through 8, there's nothing about, hey, in elders, your wives must be. There's nothing. But for the office of deacon, which is less of a leadership role, more of a servanthood role, why would he speak to their wives? So the argument being, obviously, he's not speaking to their wives. He's speaking to women. Number four is this. Romans 16.1 refers to Phoebe as a deacon in the church. Like, we see this being used. We'll throw the verse up here really quick. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, the word's deacon, a deacon of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. He's not just saying she's a servant. She's a servant of the church. It's a title being used. He said, look at Phoebe. She's a, she's a deacon of the church of Centria. And so he's saying, here's an example of a woman. Also, and this is what you can go on, if you look at just church history early on, there was letters being written to, you know, Pliny the Younger, who was discipled by John, the Apostle John, writing to Roman authorities saying, and the women deacons, and he's acknowledging women. De- My point being, this is not, I know this can cause a debate, but here's what we see. This is a beautiful expression, I believe, of the body of Christ that we cannot miss out on. I think it's in Philippians 4 when Paul is talking to the women leaders in the church. And Paul says, hey, Philippians 1.1, to the overseers and deacons, I believe that's referring to the women as well. I mean, we can look at so many different examples of Philip's daughters having a place of like prophetic leadership within the church. My point being, and here's where we're going to, just so you know, we'll share this more next week. We are a church that believes, biblically speaking, women can be deacons but cannot be elders. So we basically offend everyone in the room, just so you know. Um, we're saying, hey, we believe, speaking, that God has required elders to be men. We'll explain why. But we believe that also God has let women be deacons. Can I tell you, and it's funny, because I just feel like that offends everyone in the room. It's like, well, why can't women be deacons? Well, wait, why can't women be elders? Okay, so no matter what, I just basically offended all of you, and that's okay. We're trying to do our best to stay true to God's word. And we don't want to miss out on what God is doing. And we believe that Paul's acknowledging, likewise, women be this role. And Phoebe is that example of that role. And early church history has tons of examples of that. So for us, we're saying we're going to continue in that. And we're also going to honor and respect what God has called male to male or elders to be male. We're going to honor and respect that. So again, my hope today was to offend all of you, and I probably did that. That's good. But that is honestly what we, d- we really do believe. And so maybe you've been to church too where you have women deacons. Like, oh, deaconesses. We're not going to do that here. They're just deacons, okay? I mean, that's the same word. It's actually it's a neutral word. It doesn't mean male or female. It, can be replied to, it actually can't apply to both. So we're just going to call them deacons, just FYI. Here's the point. What is God looking for, if you noticed? God is looking for character. 
God is looking for maturity. God is looking for health. Are they dignified? Are they respectable? Are they double-tongued? Do they gossip? Are they slanderers? Like, are they one-woman men? Meaning, like, do the men actually love and commit their wives? Like, the male deacons, they love their wives, have a good family, good reputation. He goes, are they tested? Have they been tested, vetted, trained? Have they gone through this? And that's been our hope this last year and a half, really, but specifically the last eight weeks that we've had before the summer with our uh, deacon nominees. Our hope is to do this. Guys, are we perfect in this? No. Will we fail in some way? I'm sure. Have we offended someone or all of you? Yeah. The point, though, for us is we're going to be obedient to the word of Jesus. And honestly, this is how we do believe God has created and designed the church. And this, when there's women deacons, men deacons, when there's deacons established, we believe that that we saw needs being met and the gospel going forth. And we want to be obedient to that. At the end of the day, what do we want? We want people to believe in Jesus. Can we just acknowledge that churches that maybe have female elders, we're not like, oh, they're bad, we're good. We just go, you love Jesus, you're preaching the gospel. Remember last week, remember the first week we talked about one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one Christ. That is what we're going to fight for. We're going to say, you're going to preach the gospel and love people and meet needs and keep Jesus preeminent. We are on the same team here. And that's what we want to fight for. That's what we want to love. And lastly, number four is this, why does this matter? Why does this matter today? And I want you to like hear this and hear my heart in this. Why does this matter? First of all, if Jesus says to do this in the church, we want to do it. If he's like, hey, Timothy, hey, Titus, you need to raise up leaders. It's time to actually establish and appoint leaders in your city. Guess what? That's what we're going to take to heart. We want to do that. But can I just point this out? Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Who was the first deacon? We go, oh, it's Stephen or it's Philip or it's one of the seven here. No, I genuinely believe the first deacon example you and I have is Jesus. And I believe this with my whole heart. It's actually in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Listen, he says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. For many. This idea says, Jesus did not come to be deaconed. That's the word. He did not come to serve me. He came to deacon. That's the word. He came to serve. See, what I want us to see is that Jesus is the leading example of what it means to serve I love this. Can we think about our faith really quick? We're seeing the God of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords who spoke this world into existence came to serve us. We're seeing in John 13, he literally clothed himself as a slave and washed his disciples' feet, even the feet of those who would betray him. And Jesus goes, and do what I've done. Take what you've seen in me and do it now. Can we just think about this? I mean, if you guys go to a nice restaurant and a, a valet runs to your car and opens the door, you don't think anything of it. You're like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. You're a valet, right? Now imagine you pull up to that nice restaurant and you see like the, D, the, the CEO of Disney running to your car. He's like, hey, welcome. Opens your door. You're like, you're the CEO of Disney. Why did you just open my car door? He's like, well, I'm just a servant. You're like, no, that's really weird. See, I love this because the king of kings, the Lord of lords is going, let me wash your feet. Let me open your door. Let me serve you. Let me show you how to do this thing, deacon. Let me show you how to do this thing called serving one another. And this is the example that God leaves us. That all of us, you guys, all of us are called to this. So much so that you and I are most like Jesus, I believe, when we serve. What did Jesus say elsewhere in in, uh, Matthew chapter 23? He says, listen to this. But he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What does Jesus say? The greatest person among you is your deacon, is the one who serves. That's literally the word he says and uses. If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be great, get really low. If you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, take in the dust. That is flipping how we do life. That is flipping how we do leadership. We want to be servant leaders. We want to be leading servants. And Jesus goes, you want to be great? You're going to be the servant of all. 
I love that Jesus redefines greatness as a deacon, as one who serves, as one who gets low and serves. And Jesus goes, I have come to do that. I've come to serve you. You see, why, do, why are we here? Why do we gather together? Why do we worship? I love what Philippians 2 says. Listen to this. Listen to this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You see, when I think of a deacon, you know, I think of Jesus. Somebody says, I'm going to become the slave and the slave to all. I'm going to willingly become a slave and servant to you. Why? So I can redeem you. I'm going to give my body up. I'm going to show you what it means to sacrifice. I'm going to show you what it means to serve. I'm going to show you that you could never be great unless you get low. You want to know the, the narrow path? You want to enter the gate? It's going to be really narrow. And he's basically saying, this, and this, this is the way to be great. Lose your life and you will find it. You want to grow in faith? Serve. It, this is applies to all of us. All of us are called to do what Jesus did. To say, I'm going to become the servant of men. I want to serve. And I love that there's a specific role in office, and there's also a plea for all of us to be this. So here's what we are going to do for us. Like I've mentioned, we've had the last eight weeks to train, pray over, vet, uh, talk through, ask hard questions to a group of people that we believe the Lord has identified to serve in this capacity. Some are team leaders who have been serving for a long time. Some have that character, not some, they have that character and that maturity that we are looking for. Uh, They have different skills and giftings. Maybe more admin, maybe more helps, maybe more mercy ministry, but they've all agreed to say, listen, we want to have a role in the community of South Florida to meet needs and to bring justice to our community. We, we believe God's, you know, called us to that, as humbling and as terrifying as that might sound. So here's what we are going to do. We're going to call up uh, the deacon nominees. We're going to read something, a covenant between them and God and them in the church, because the Bible is covenantal language, and then we're going to pray over them and officially, in a sense, commission them into deacon ministry. So can you give it up for uh, those men and women who we believe God has called to do the deacon ministry? Guys, come on up. You guys can come up here. Come on up here. To try and be all humble, you know, sit up front. Do you guys just want to come stand right here? Um, really quick, just a brief you know, explanation. So, here, mask. You'd help me with that. Fix that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> they're already doing it. Uh, listen, this is a group of men and women who we believe God has clearly uh, called to serve our local church and our community. You guys, I know that many of you know them. They're your group leaders. They're your team leaders. That you see them doing security, support, setup, all of the above. They've also have the heart to say, listen, when there's injustice in our community, we want to be those who meet those needs. When there's those who have needs, we want to help be those who support in benevolent ways. And it really is a beautiful thing. And we also have Mike, who's up here, as you guys know, who uh, is also one of our elder nominees. We'll be talking about the role of an elder or pastor or shepherd. Here's the thing. We do want to take this serious. This is an honor. This is something where in Acts 6, they laid hands on them and they prayed over them, which we want to do. Because that is biblical, and that is something that the church does to commission so often and appoint and call and establish. And it's crazy, because they're basically saying, we went over this with them going, are you guys ready to, to be of the dust? <laughs> to serve in that way? <laughs> we are in pro- it's like, no one is. It's like, yes, if someone's like, I'm ready, you're like, eh, we'll wait till next year. But no, like, you see that, that response of, I'm willing, but I'm terrified. This is, this is weighty, and this is beautiful. And I'm very thankful for all of your uh, answers and approach, approach to this. And this is something we want to honor. And I want to encourage you guys. I, I love this thought to Timothy. Timothy 
Timothy, a young, a young pastor, and he goes, hey, let no one despise your youth. Great men and women have been used by God from the age young to the age old of Moses at 80. God's like, I'm not a respecter of uh, persons or of ages. I can use it at any point, any time. So I'm very thankful for you guys. You guys have loved this body well. You've served this body well. You've been faithful. You've shown integrity. You've shown character. And I know that this is just the beginning of, of more of that. And uh, this is a humbling and beautiful thing. And this is a, something where we get to serve the body of Christ together. So I'm going to read really quick <laughs> uh, our deacon covenant that they signed in question form. At the end, you're going to respond with, I do. We do this, honestly, and we're going to be doing this because we, the Bible uses covenantal language so often. And we want to respect and honor that, that what they're saying today. And we want accountability. We want witnesses. It's almost like a wedding ceremony in that sense of like, oh man, I vow to be a servant. You know, and this is a beautiful thing. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to read a verse. And then we're going to lay hands and pray over you. All right? So deacons, by God's grace, do you covenant today to fulfill the character qualifications of a deacon that we find in 1 Timothy 3? Will you strive to live a holy, Jesus-centered life to live above reproach? Will you live in community with believers, loving, serving, and being accountable one to another? Will you seek to live a missional life, actively proclaiming Jesus? Will you live humbly toward all and honor your leadership as they follow Christ? Will you speak life, avoid gossip, honor Jesus, your church, your neighbor, and those opposed to the gospel with your speech? Will you faithfully carry out the role of a deacon to do justice and to live as a servant of the Lord? Will you honor God with the fruit of your labor, giving generously and sacrificially back to the Lord? And lastly, by God's grace, will you make it your chief aim to glorify God and enjoy him forever, to seek his face and his presence in your day-to-day life? And your answer? Paul said, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We pray that this will define you. I'm going to pray for you guys. Father, we are humbled by this group of people who really for so long now have served behind the scenes. They've served in so many different ways. And Jesus, I just ask that you would bless that. That God truly, that needs would be met in, in South Florida. That God, you'd use this group to bring justice. God, to just love mercy, to walk humbly with you. That God, we'd see practical needs being met, and as those needs are met, that the gospel would transform lives. That your word would spread quickly. That Jesus, at times, we're still trying to figure this out. What does this look like? Lord, I ask that you would just speak and give clarity and direction. God, empower them. Fill them with your spirit. Tomorrow, when they wake up, fill them with your spirit. I pray that for our church, Jesus, that the, this group up here would just create a culture of leading, of serving that Jesus, it would just catch on to us, that all of us would desire to not be served, but to serve. So God, just fill them now. Thank you for them. Keep them from the enemy and his schemes and his plans. Deliver them from temptation. And Jesus, we just ask that there would be a sense of um, this commission, this call to carry out this ministry of meeting needs in our church and in South Florida. In your wonderful and your precious name, Jesus, we ask all of this. Amen. Amen. Listen, we love you guys. Why don't you give it up real quick for them? You guys can stay here. Um, hey, I, I am going to ask that keep them in prayer. 
Um, keep this season in prayer. We know that whenever this happens, we know that you guys have walked through different things leading up to this, and you will after this, and uh, we believe God's hands on you. And here's what we want to do. We are going to call the worship team back up here, and we do want to end with worship, and here's why. We want to worship the greatest deacon. <laughs> we want to worship the one who came to serve. And this is a reminder, a small reminder, of Jesus, who's the greatest servant of all. So one more time, why don't you give up for our deacons? You guys can take a head down. And then I'm just going to pray really quick. We're going to worship, and um, yeah, we'll close out. Father, again, we thank you for this time. We thank you for what you're doing. We just ask that you would be so present in here, that Jesus, the focus is not on us, but on you, the chief shepherd, the chief deacon. God, we thank you for what you've done for us, and we pray that practically, Jesus, we would see what it is you desired to be carried out in the church here in our church. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen. Hey guys, why don't you stand? Let's just end our time with some worship. Let's stand.